Hi, I'm Ryan Milkey, Director of Public Affairs at University Medical Center of El Paso. Welcome to Better Health in the Borderland, a podcast that focuses on issues of health and well-being throughout our borderland region. In today's edition of Better Health in the Borderland, we're going to be talking about the effect of the current pandemic on a couple here in El Paso. It's a story that you might not have seen on television, heard on the radio, or read in a headline. It's a story that affects a woman named Bertha and a man named Raul and their children and grandchildren. They've had an impact on El Paso, but the pandemic has had an impact on them. But this story begins, well, more than half a century ago. It begins with a teenager and her crush on a freshman. We met when I was in the eighth grade, and he was uh, a freshman at Bowie High School. Wow. And um, we used to go practice at Our Lady's Youth Center, and he lived close by. So we would see each other, but we wouldn't talk to each other because we didn't know each other. Right. Uh, and one, one day, uh, well, we were in the clubs there at Our Lady's Youth Center. Uh-huh. He was at, uh, I was at Fatima Club, and he was, I guess, just there. And um, he asked me one time if I could go to a picnic with him. And I says, well, oh. I have to ask my parents because I couldn't tell him yes. <laughs> <laughs> and finally, I asked my parents, and they led me, and I said yes. Oh, that's and wonderful. we went on that picnic. And since then, we started going. And that around. was the start, the whole time. There was, there, he was... That was the first start of your relationship, and it uh, it just never ended after that. Exactly, because we went around for five years, uh-huh. and then he we got engaged when I graduated from high school. I graduated from technical high school, El Paso Tech, and uh, I was a lion, and he was a bear. <laughs> <laughs> but um, from there on, our relationship started growing, and then he asked me to marry him. What w- what was it about him that you knew that he was he was the one he was the one you wanted to? His respect towards me, mm-hmm. and uh, he was a a very patient man, mm-hmm. and I always liked him. Mm-hmm. I never told anybody. Mm-hmm. I would see him pass by from school mm-hmm. when we were practicing, and I liked him a lot. <laughs> oh. And uh, I don't know if he liked me or not, but at that time that he invited me to go with him to that picnic, uh, from there on, it was a relationship. <laughs> so you were married for, for 50? 57 years. Oh, my gosh. Yes. Uh, and since then, we had seven children. And then they grew up. How many up. boys? How many girls? Four boys. No, four girls and three boys. Uh, <laughs> and so for you here in El Paso, are you in the same home that you were in for yes. all those years? We've been there for 47 years. And that's that's here in that's central El Paso? Uh, or northeast? Northeast. Uh, northeast. Okay. Well, they call it central sometimes. I know, because yeah. we're growing so fast, it's mm-hmm. becoming central. Yeah. And uh, 
I've been living there for 47 years, and it's wonderful. How has life in El Paso been for you and your husband all these years? It was great. Mm -hmm. We were always together. We would always go places together. He was not... uh, um, he was more a homebody, mm-hmm. and uh, he didn't like to go out to mm-hmm. dances or places like that. But what was the favorite thing that you two liked to do? Uh, you know, it was just one of those things where you all, you two knew that, you know, when we do this, we're going to have fun or we're going to go, we're going to go do this. Was it anything in particular or Not just seeing really. the kids or what? Well, we, since the girls were in Austin... They were far away from us. And the main thing he liked was to relax at, at the house and have watch TV. And just hang around at and the house. And just hang around at the house. He loved to do construction in the house, do things, you know. So was he a born builder? He just loved to build things and make things and construct things? Yes, he was very... Uh, he liked to do craft things for the house. He built... A light in the kitchen, and he made a wall with, with a design on it, and things like that. That that was his, his favorite. His uh, passion. Mm-hmm. Just doing things, for the family, for the house. Did he build anything that went completely wrong? <laughs> <laughs> Maybe, if he did, he knew only because I, I didn't know. It always I came mean, out he perfect. was yes, yes. He was a perfectionist. Everything he had to measure, he had to do things. I mean, he was a wonderful man. Did he ever? Uh, was there anything that he always said after you all you all had disagreements uh, that uh, no, to make you smile or just I'm sorry he loved or me. oh, and, that's and, nice. And, you know, you shouldn't be doing this. <laughs> Life's too short, right? Yes. So, so I'm I'm just curious. Um, all the things that he's that he's done for you and made for you that your husband made for you over the years. What was your favorite? All all the things he did, because they were perfect. They were all perfect. Yes, I I enjoyed enjoyed watching him do things, mm-hmm. and uh, sometimes I would help him a little. Mm-hmm. Not too much, <laughs> because he didn't like for me to, to he knew tell what he him. Wanted. Yes, <laughs> he knew what he was gonna do. Yeah, and so he was. He was a beautiful man. So, do you know where or how he might have gotten the the virus? Uh, he was the the one that that would go out and to Walmart and get mm. the stuff and bring it home. He was just everywhere running errands and Mm -hmm. all over town. Miguel Rivera works in UMC's infection control as one of the hospital's lead infection preventionists. He has watched the virus invade our city and our borderland. So around the March time frame, uh, once we started discovering that COVID was making its way into the United States and then of course El Paso, we were very concerned at uh, the lack of testing. We're very concerned that uh, if we had a a huge peak, we wanted to be prepared that we had enough um, beds in the hospital. You know, the recommendation is is really basic, basic infection control. This is what we've known all along. Whenever we uh, do good hand hygiene, we wash our hands for 20 full seconds. 
um, that prevents many, many infections. The first six or seven cases that we saw here at UMC, all were travel related. Either people traveling from California, uh, from some of the hotspots. Not only just the people that travel there, but then the people that live with them. Mm -hmm. So um, for the first, I want to say three to four weeks, pretty much everything we saw was travel related. Mm -hmm. After the fifth or sixth week, that's when we really saw the community spread. So the most important thing to understand right now is that there is no vaccine. But for Raul, community spread was already working its way through El Paso, and the virus was moving quickly from one person to the next. And one, one day he said, you know what, honey? He says, I cannot do it anymore. Mm -hmm. I says, what's wrong? He says, I don't know. I just don't feel right. But he went about three days after that, and he says, no, I can't breathe. And I told my son, call the ambulance. And he called the ambulance, and they took him right away. Joshua Crawford is a registered nurse at the emergency department at University Medical Center. He was there the day the call came in for Bertha and her husband. They were on their way, but it was a call that was unusual for Joshua, who had heard so many before. I got the EMS report, the FMS report, because the patient came uh, through fire department. And it was odd because I had never, I mean, I've been a nurse here for five years now, uh, working ER trauma, and I've never heard a call such as a code heart, code brain. And so initially, at first, it was a little bit confusing because you're like, well, what's going on? Is this patient having a stroke? Is it a heart attack? What exactly is going on? And there was no specific symptoms at the time. So it was just an overall weird kind of call. I was the primary nurse uh, for the patient. Um, and the first thing, of course, we do is get some vital signs, get a little bit of history from the ambulance, um, assess the patient. Um, and like I said, at the time, um, you know, and since it was a code brain, code heart, of course, the emergency is we want to rule out that it's a stroke or a heart attack, you know, so we're... We work as a team down in the ER. We're doing everything. Um, we actually page the neurologist too, just because we're a comprehensive stroke uh, center. So anytime uh, we get a positive stroke scale from the FMS, we in immediately initiate like our neurology team. Um, so they were there too. There was a whole bunch of people, um, like I said, working together as a team. We hooked the patient up. Uh, he didn't have any symptoms of a code heart, code brain at the time. He was talking to us. He said he felt fine. Um, so it was a little weird. You know, we got an EKG. It didn't show that he was having a massive heart attack. Um, the only thing that was odd was that his oxygen levels were very decreased. That was the only thing that was going on. It's definitely a red flag uh, for corona. Um, at the time, though, when this occurred, uh, we didn't really know much about corona. He did look sick, though. Everybody kind of wanted to know what was going on because he wasn't, um, although he was talking, he wasn't able to give a lot of detailed information that you would need to make, you know, a medical decision on what's going on. Right. Um, so we, we wanted to talk to the wife to see exactly what happened. Like, you know, was he having stroke-like symptoms before? Because, you know, stroke, you can, you know, sometimes it's, you need an MRI, um, you know, so they were still thinking, you know, it could be that as well. Um, so I remember them uh, having the wife in the room, and um, I remember 
I was with another patient at the time, but I remember hearing that the wife had like some sort of syncopal episode where she passed out. He was still talking and laughing with the girls, you know, waving by. And when I turned like this to see him, I fainted. And they took me out, and then I don't know what happened. After that, I never saw him. And that was my pain because I wanted to see him. I wanted to talk to him. I wanted to be with him. And I couldn't. We couldn't. After Raul was admitted, his wife, Bertha, was also admitted as an inpatient at UMC. The virus did not affect her the same way that it did her husband. Her symptoms subsided after only a few days. And when they told me that I was positive and that they were going to leave me in the hospital, I said, no, I'm okay. No, mm-hmm. you're not. You're positive. So they took me to the fourth floor. Always and you just wanted there. to get out of that bed and get out and yes, go home. Yes, yeah. I wanted to come home. And then the doctor told me that I was okay, that everything was fine, that if I wanted to go home, yeah, I said, yes, I want to go home. Right, right. And um, he said, okay. So I got out of the hospital at 8.30 at night. Yeah. And I went home. But I missed him a lot. He was yeah. still there. We couldn't see him. And that's and, the thing. The The isolation for, for coronavirus patients is terrible. Yes, it is. It really is because they, they can't have family or friends or yes. anyone, any of their loved ones around. But, and I was out of there in five days. So while you were in the hospital, did you have any other symptoms, any other, anything that was, it, it didn't get too far worse? No. See, you are a strong woman. Mm-hmm. They didn't know if he had had a, a stroke or a heart attack mm-hmm. because he wouldn't respond to what, to their commands. Mm-hmm. And uh, his, he would never improve. Mm-hmm. He was getting worse. So the doctor told me, I need your permission to take him off the respirator. Mm -hmm. I said, yes, take him off. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't want him to suffer anymore. Right. So they took him off. And uh, we spoke to him through the Zoom. They Zoomed him on our phone. Mm -hmm. And... We all were telling him, come on, Dad, the guys. Come on, Dad, get up. Mm-hmm. You can do it. And I told him, we need you. He was just moving his head like, you know, like he wanted to open his eyes, but he couldn't. And I think he was going. He was in agony. Because a half hour to an hour later, they called me that he had gone. But he was not there anymore. I understand. I miss him very much. Bertha's husband spent 57 years with her. She said they rarely argued, and he always made sure she was his only priority. They raised a loving family of sons, daughters, and grandchildren. His absence will be remembered for the rest of their lives. The loss of their father and grandfather was the first death due to COVID-19 at UMC. But their love for each other will outlast the coronavirus in this life and the next. 
as Joshua remembers. There's just something, I guess, different about this family. You know, like I could, you could feel the love, I guess, is what I'm saying. Like you could feel the concern, you know, and you could really feel um, that the wife cared for, for him. This has been an episode of Better Health in the Borderland, a production of University Medical Center of El Paso. Thank you for listening. We'll be back soon with another episode and story about issues of health that affect our community, our El Paso, and our borderland.